This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. From the Palmetto Swamps, to the Piney Woods, to the Oak Flats, you're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. You're listening to the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, presented by Scree Gear, performance apparel, performance hunting gear. You've heard us talk about them all season long. We've done some promotional things and uh, introduced some new items to you. And recently here, as the season is winding down, I've uh, tried to tell you, for all those that listen regularly and are planning to partake in spring turkey season, how great the Scree Summit camouflage pattern is for the spring turkey woods, and it is. It is fantastic. It looks great in every environment that I have put it in, which is quite a few as I'm a pretty avid turkey hunter. So the performance gear works well for turkey hunters as well. Obviously, we know that as our seasons change, we get crazy weather all the time. But in the spring, it's cold in the morning, and it's warm during the day, and a lot of times you're walking. So performance gear works well, and the, the camouflage pattern, the Scree Summit pattern is great. So use the code LABH for 20% off your first purchase on any regular price items and follow them online at uh, all the different social media and YouTube. You can find out all about their products, and they always got some kind of deal going on that you can take advantage of. So shop online at ScreeGear.com. Uh, as we record this, and, well, as this is released, it will be down to the wire, only a handful of days remaining in the areas that have some later season and we are uh, officially pushing completely towards the end and we're gonna start to wrap it up tonight on this podcast for the season so i got kyler here with me as always how you doing man i'm doing great man how are you doing doing good 
And then we've got with me also tonight is returning podcast guest and friend of ours, Mr. Glenn Peterson. How are you doing, Glenn? I'm doing good. So we thought because I, I, I shared with them leading into this that Glenn is one of those people, and I think everybody has one of these people, one of these friends in their lives that they always have somebody that just seems to know everybody. No matter where they go, somebody knows this person, and that's Glenn. So probably like half of the 20 of you that are listening to this probably know Glenn personally. So uh, <laughs> the idea was good, for us. Good or bad. Good yeah. or bad. The, yeah. I, the idea was for, uh, is for us to, to talk about the season and just kind of um, put a bow on it, recap, you know, some of the things that not, not only that, that we experienced individually um, as hunters this season, but just what we heard, what we saw, um, kind of things that we learned and trends that are developing, and just kind of talk about that and put a bow on the 2021-2022 archery deer hunting season. Thought Glenn would be a good uh, addition to that conversation. So, um, just kind of start with uh, Kyle. Or start with you. If if you could, if you could just kind of make one blank, not blank. I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. It, if you could make one statement that would identify your feelings about the 21-22 season, what would that statement be? Hmm. I would say, <clears throat> man, I, I'll just sum it up to like the two words of, of light switch. Um, it was off for a while. It was on for a little bit and then it was off again. Um, I, uh, I felt, I felt more in the dark this at the beginning of this season than I have in seasons past. Um, that also might just be because like, as I, I hunt more and more year after year after year. There's a little, there's a little less mystique to the woods. There's a little less like mystery to what's around the corner. You know, every weekend you go out trying to hunt a different place. Um, I know that I, at the very beginning of the season, I feel like I saw fewer deer, but then I, I would say during the rut, I saw exponentially more than I typically do. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of it, once the rut was over, um, the first half of January, it, it fell off pretty hard and it's been kind of tough to, to finish it out, uh, strong. Like I was hunting, uh, all the way through the rut with that same fervor and vigor. Um, but for me, it was more of like, I felt like I was behind, 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 behind all the way up into early December. And then I started to finally like started to catch traction early December and then it was really good for about a month and a half and then it kind of fell off again. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess that's how I would sum mine up as far as experience goes. Glenn, what about you? You've had time to think about it. I put Kyle on the spot first. I was trying to think of a word, but the biggest word I got, mine is kind of disappointment. Although personally I, I had a pretty decent season. Yeah, I, I really did. I, I killed, you know, two Pope and Young bucks in Mississippi, one in, in the Midwest. Uh, I didn't kill anything here at, the, at, at home in Louisiana, but uh, but my parents, you know, who are 80 years old, have been hunting their whole lives, and, and my mom especially, she always gets her limit of bucks, you know, on our, on our family's place. 
didn't kill a deer this year. First year that I can ever remember that my parents did not shoot a deer. You know, of course, they're, and they're gun hunting also. It just, it was a really, really, really off year for us. And everybody around us in the same area, you know, was, was uh, speaking the same language. Just uh, deer numbers were down some, but just <clears throat> nocturnal big time. <clears throat> you know, but what few deer we got on camera were all nocturnal. Uh, it was it was a strange strange year and i still uh, a buddy of mine called me today he's like man how'd your deer season go and, and i told him he said well man it sounds like it wasn't bad i'm like well personally it, mine wasn't terrible for for myself but for my, our place family as a whole was way off you know it was uh it was pretty slim so uh i can't put a finger on exactly what happened uh I really don't know. You know, our place is, is a lot of big pastures and stuff and, and wood, you know, wood lines and woodlots. But uh, normally our, our fields, you know, this time of year fill up with deer, you know, in the evenings. But <laughs> this year they did not. Hmm. I really can't account. I mean, we had a fair acorn crop. It wasn't it wasn't a bumper crop of acorns, but it was it was fair. But the deer just did not come out in the fields to feed, you know, and they had no more pressure on them this year than they ever have in the past. So I really uh, kind of dumbfounded on what happened. Our guests every week are brought to you by our friend Brian Chamberlain, the Chamberlain Lending Team with Movement Mortgage. And if you're in need of a residential loan, primary or secondary vacation investment, cash out, rate reduction, renovation for add-ons, any of these kind of needs, contact Brian. Nobody does better. Low credit scores, potentially 0% down, and the Movement Mortgage, 42% of their profits go towards charitable organizations through the Movement Foundation, and that sets them apart. Brian is licensed in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, NMLS number 114586, and Movement Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender, NMLS ID number 39179. I would, I would, yeah, what about you, Luck? I would... I, I'm going to say well-rounded, okay? Well-rounded. So, <clears throat> I am I am going that direction for a, a couple of reasons that I'll define. So, well-rounded, not just because of, of success or, or, you know, it would be easy for me to say I, I killed three nice bucks and I killed them in three different states and all three of them were kind of um, successes in, in in such a way that all three hunts were uh, very deliberate and I, I achieved what I set out to do. I, I, none of those three deer were just like, it's a pretty weekend, let me go sit here and see what happens, and, and I got uh, fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, I mean, I, you know, was actually kind of on a, a purpose-driven hunt all three times, and, and so that was cool. But it's not just that. So I I say well-rounded because my season got started from early season all the way through the end here, and I got to do and experience a lot of things that, I, that, that make it well-rounded. So starting off, my son killed a really nice buck with his bow in October. So I hunted with my 13-year-old son, his first really full season to, to, to hunt with a bow. And we were able to kill our target deer, well, one of a couple, but really the main one that, that he wanted to shoot the most, in October. 
before uh, I went off traveling or before anything else. So that really like encapsulated the early season for me. I hardly ever hunt much early season anyway. So killing deer in October hasn't been a thing for me for a while because I, I I've, ever since my kid, kid I say I want to say kids, but one of my one of my kids doesn't hunt, but. I let my son have been for the last four or five years. I let him shoot the does that we put in the freezer. I don't, I just don't hunt much in the other season. So this year I got more of an early season. I, I went up to, to Missouri and I hunted the, the September early season and I had a great time. I didn't kill anything, but I got to hunt over the beans while they were still green and see the deer and, and hunt a little September cool front in the Midwest. That was really cool. Then I came home. I hunted a lot with my son in October was able to video him killing a really nice buck with his bow, first deer he's ever shot. That was really cool. So now we get into November. I went on my Midwestern trip. We've documented all of that on, on the podcast, but I was able to kill a deer on both my visit to Missouri and to Kansas. Uh, my biggest deer with a bow to date, uh, my biggest deer period, I think, frame-wise. He doesn't score it as high as another deer I have, but he's got more frame. The other deer's got more character. Um and then I was able to kill a deer in Louisiana um, during the holidays on the week of Christmas on a small piece of property that I really worked hard to set up and stayed out of there until the time got just right and my plan paid off and I was able to kill one of two deer that I was after. Uh, and then I was able to come up and hunt with you, Kyler, and do the public land thing, which I haven't done in a long time, and that was fun to be able to do something different, come spend the weekend at, at your camp and, and do that style of hunting. Uh, I was able to hunt <clears throat> more with my dad in, in January and other things like that. So I, I really, like I said, well-rounded. I, I, I mean, there's, there's very, there's very little that, that I could, uh, that I, that I can honestly say that I really wanted to do that I didn't get to do. So, yeah. Well, you, you could come hunt with me anytime because the second y'all left, man, I was in a fix, dude. So you're I, saying, I'm like, telling you, I'm every, like, every, every huh i'm like the uh the precursor to good things for you or something but yeah i mean the second y'all got there i I mean i would be when we hunted i think it was our first hunt together i still i still can't believe i i didn't see y'all through the trees like we were hunting that close together and i'd see deer and y'all wouldn't see anything i it didn't make much sense to me because i was putting y'all i was putting y'all in spots that um, had great sign. I mean, even y'all were like, Dude, this place is torn to shreds. Why aren't there bucks walking around? But um, I never hunted there. But the second y'all left, it was like a, yep. a switch flipped on. It was. It was like um, every day was, you were texting. Saw yeah. this, saw that, saw this. They're doing this, they're doing that. Yeah. It's like, well. Huh. Um, well, I, I, before, before we get too far along, um, I want to ask Glenn this. We may have asked him this on last episodes, but uh glenn tell us about your equipment what bow are you shooting broadheads arrows etc all right so uh everybody knows i'm kind of an elite guy uh i shoot i'm shooting a elite remedy uh is it this year's bow or i'm that guy that gets a new one every other year or so of course <laughs> archery archery shops love me uh, well they may not love me might not like to see me come to the door but uh so I'm shooting an Elite Remedy. I shot uh, Gold Tip Pierce Arrows, Slick Trick Broadheads. I killed all my deer this year. Normally I, I'd shoot, if I kill, just say I kill four deer a season, I'd normally shoot four different broadheads. I'm kind of a broadhead uh, 
I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, I have I have a connoisseur. Yeah. So, uh, but this year I shot all my deer with slick tricks. The magnums are really that's one of kind of my go-to head. And uh, I ended up shooting. I shot two does here at home, uh, two bucks in, in Mississippi, and one in uh, in in the Midwest, and had you know good good results with all of them. Uh, but that's what I'm shooting up the remedy uh, with a movable pin, of course, and. Uh, Really like that bow. I might stick with it for a few years for once. I really like it. So what Quite. changes did you make? Because you mentioned, you've mentioned on previous podcasts, and you, and you just may mention that you're, you're someone who changes up and tinkers with stuff and gets new equipment a lot. So what changes did you make from last year to this year? So so last year I hunted with, a you know, like a four-pin sight. You know, uh, this year I shot a movable sight, movable one-pin, up-pin up type sight. Uh, kind of a... Uh, hybrid tournament site i guess you'd say um <clears throat> and i and i did shoot different air last year i shot some different arrows this year i went i, I kind of i shot those platinum uh pierces for several years and i really liked them and last year i tried something different not that i had bad results they worked fine but i just i really like the the little pierce arrows they penetrate really well they're tough you know i think i killed three of the of the deer with the same arrow this year uh just changed the the blades on the broad is of course but uh i like i like my setup as it is it's uh i only shoot 60 pounds because you know i got kind of a bad back and what I, one thing i found I, with my draw length i shoot a you know a 30 inch draw and it, 60 pounds is all i need i mean i zip right through every day and the deer i shot in the midwest i hit him right where i hit a lot of them it seems like right through the dang shoulders and it it zipped right through them and stuck in the ground so no problems with penetration whatsoever. So anyway, I'm I'm happy with my setup. Uh, Elite has been good to me. I really like their equipment. Durable, quiet, fast enough. So right up my alley. But, uh, nice. I uh, yeah. I, I know this is the first time we've had you on this year. I know we've asked you that in the past, but I also yeah. knew that you were you were um, you know a habitual gear purchaser. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I am. I'm that guy. And uh, my uh, my my pocketbook pays for it for sure. Uh, I did try something different this year after after all these years of of hunting with uh, lock-ons mostly uh, and a climber here and there. I tried the old saddle thing, you know, everybody's been talking about, and uh, I bought one. I tried it, and 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 I when I was in the Midwest, I used it a couple of times, and uh, I like it. I don't know that I'll. I don't know that it trumps the lock on and, and all that, but it, as far as you got to walk in a long ways and all, what I really liked about it was, you know, if you have to walk a long ways instead of packing a stand, it, it, it helps on that. But as far as everything else, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can beat a lock on. So, with, so, so okay, you mentioned, you, you just mentioned that, <clears throat> talking about your poundage, that you, you kind of have a chron- chronic back issues and have a bad back. So how did that work with the saddle, with, with you having back trouble? Okay. That's a commonly asked question when yeah. in the saddle conversation. So if you get it positioned right, which takes a little bit of trial and error, it's actually better on your back. Or on my the back problems I have, I have herniated discs. So uh, the kind of hanging there, as you kind of do, it kind of helps my back a little bit. Actually, a lock a lock holes kill my back. I'm not gonna lie, sitting there, but I, I have to stand up most of the time. But. Uh, 
as far if you get it adjusted right, I can see the benefits. If you have a bad back, it, it, it you know it, it's it can definitely help you. And the, and the one I have is a two piece, so it it kind of has a built in back support. Lumbar, yeah, like lumbar. lumbar, yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, so I like that part of it. I like the uh, maybe I'm just old and slow, but I, I didn't find that I could set it up any quicker. Matter of fact, maybe even a little bit slower than I kind of lock on in sticks. Uh, I didn't never time it or anything like that, but you know, it, of course, this was my first year trying it, so it was like I said, trial and error. And you, you get up in a tree and you get it adjusted, and you're like, all right, I need to, you know, put your tether a little higher, a little lower, or, you know. Or, I, I did a lot of that, and I found myself fidgeting a good bit uh, in it also, just because I don't have my my system down pat yet. But uh, so. Kyler, did you, uh, in spirit of, of of that particular conversation, did you did you do something different, or did you discover something that got you doing something different mid season? Anything out of your norm? You mean when I started finding deer? No, I just mean like not necessarily in the strategy of how you found deer and where you hunted, but just in your setup, or I guess maybe maybe leaning towards a strategy. Did you do something? Um, you know, vastly different this year than you've done in years past, whether it be from the onset, something you decided to do starting out or something that you kind of discovered and, and, and kept on doing for the remainder of the season or anything like that? A um, couple of things. Um, number one, <clears throat> uh, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here because I mentioned this a few times, so I won't go into detail, but um, I, you know, I did, I did uh, pick up the trad bow again and, Picking up the trad boat totally changes the way that you hunt. Not in um, not in weapon choice, but in how you approach the woods. For example, the second that I hunt, second that I pick up a traditional bow, I'm only hunting two sticks high versus three. And to clarify, I can get to 20 feet with three sticks because I've got eighters on all three of them. So three sticks for me is about a 19 to 20 foot setup. So Two sticks is about fourteen to fourteen to fifteen feet or so, um, and and that, and and what I'm talking about is where the base of my stand is. Now, if if y'all saw me set up, if y'all saw me set up my my lock on set, I'm hanging. Sometimes I'm hanging my M7 a foot and a half, two feet, sometimes higher above the top of my last stick. So, I mean, I'm really stretching stuff out there, but. Um, when, when I hunt with a traditional bow, I've said this for years now, it really simplifies the woods. It like, it forces you to admit that you can, you've only got one game plan. Um, you're trying to hit ground balls instead of hitting home runs or swinging for the outfield. Like you're, you've only, you're forced to hunt, you're forced to, um, pick better trees. You're forced to spend more time and effort and deliberateness on tree selection and and how you're going to set up for certain winds and certain areas. And so um, for me, whenever I start hunting with a traditional bow, it makes, it makes everything easier because I'm like handicapped. It's like bow hunting with one hand tied behind your back. And so you're not having to find a spot where you could shoot out to 50 yards in one direction and 20 yards behind you. It's like 20 yards, any direction is your max, so you better pick the right tree. 
you know, um, and it forces you to be a better woodsman also. Otherwise, you'll never, ever, ever be successful with it, um, at least not on public land. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, yes, you can always bring in a, a doe into a corn pile at, at 18 yards and kill her, but I'm talking about if you've got 40,000 acres and you've got to pick one that a, a deer is going to walk within 20 feet of, you've got to, you've got to have some pretty deliberate att- uh, intent there. Um, you so got to narrow things that, down pretty pretty drastically. Oh yeah, like really narrows it down hard, and in some ways it makes it harder. Um, but in hindsight, like at the end of the season, and you've got all these new encounters, you've got all these encounters you have with deer, and you shoot at some, and you miss some, and you hit some, and kill some, et cetera, et cetera. After all that, after all those encounters, I, my conclusion at the end of every season that I hunt with the trad bow is that. It makes me a better hunter, and and I don't even need and I didn't even kill anything with it this year, which is funny because my first year hunting with it, I killed what did I kill three deer and a hog or two, which is a a pretty gangbusters first year with a trad bow, and this year I didn't kill anything with it, and I probably hunted with it maybe not as much as the first year, but half as you know I probably hunted with it fifteen seven fifteen sixteen times, but it it's it simplifies the woods because. You have you forcibly have to ignore any other distractions that would um, impair your decision making if you were hunting with a, a compound and especially a rifle. You know, um, you're not trying to play zone coverage; you're trying to play man coverage. That's a great one that's, trail. That's a great yeah. analogy right there. So um, it really and so that's that's why it's so fun is because it it make like I I felt very refreshed when I went when I picked it back up and I also felt like I was more capable with it hunting this year, even though I didn't kill anything. Um, and, but that, that's a big thing. And then what ended up happening was, um, uh, around the same time that I started hunting with my traditional bow, I got long cableators, um, which I originally, this is what I've been doing. There's a millennium, m150 stand and i think it's a steel stand or it might be a one of their biggest aluminums i really don't remember but it has like a 37 and a half inch long replacement cable and when i say cable i'm talking about the cable that holds the platform to the the back um uh the the backbone of it with the the riser you might recall it um the post thank you um and I made I made my cableators out of that originally. It's a 37 inches folded in half. It gives you somewhere around uh, around 18 inch, 19 inch cableators or so. Um, and and then you, you know you bolt it into the whatever your bottom bolt or your stick is. And then I have a really long one that's made out of Amsteel for the bottom that I can get. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't. I know I know Colin, um, your cameraman and friend. He he likes he likes uh, naders. What, yeah, or, I think that's what, what they're called. Have? It's like a it's multiple steps on one aider. Yeah, those freak me out. Yeah, like they, I have they, I have a family stuff. and I have people that would miss me when I killed myself on that on my third stick. So I don't do that. I I like I like the um, I like the. Uh, Cableators for everything above the bottom long air that I have, and um, ever since I started 
going back into traditional bow hunting, I found myself for like time and convenience reasons, when I would go to the compound, I would still only hunt two sticks high. And, um, you know, I still kind of to this day will keep repeating this stupid saying that I have, which is that deer are like T-Rex in Jurassic Park. If you don't move, they can't see you. And so I don't, I no longer subscribe to like the 20 foot plus club of like, you've got to be super duper high to not be seen. I'm more of like 115 feet and don't move. Right. And, um, and so that, that, that has helped me out because that's actually made me more mobile. And, um, what I mean by that is there is about five hunts this year that when I had two sticks, I'm climbing two sticks high. When I realized that I was off the X, I'd climb down and reset up closer to where I needed to be. Whereas uh, unknowingly, in hindsight, that third stick was kind of like the threshold of like pain in the ass where I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I'm just going to stick out, stick it out here and I'll move tomorrow. Well, now two sticks and a stand, I'm like, well, I can get down and back up again in 20 minutes, you know. Um, and so that, that simplified things for me a lot, uh, a whole lot. Um, so that's, that's kind of some tactic stuff, um, or, or gear or, um, like stand, uh, stand related uh, approach to the wood stuff. But there is something that I moved to this year, um, because of you. And that's, uh, I, I moved to Grim Reapers, um, at the end, towards the end of the season, I killed two deer with them. Um, I killed, uh, my best buck to date. <clears throat> and then I killed, um, a doe the last weekend of the season with a friend of mine, just on like a management doe hunt. They needed to take some does off their property. So I was a, you know, an assassin pretty much, but, um, and, and they just, um, it's really impressive, man. Hey, um, I mean, they do what some serious did you, did you damage. The, the three blade or a four blade or two, which ones did you go with? So, so I got, um, I, I do want to talk I want to talk more about what I'm shooting now, what I'm going to get, and then what I'm going to do next season. Um, so I was shooting the three-blade whitetail special, which is two-inch cut. Yeah, that's a um, big one. It, 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 it is a big one. And the reason why is because, Locke, the ones that you recommended to me, which are the one and three-quarter-inch cut, those aren't in any shops that I can find. I actually had to order those directly from Grim Reaper. I could find one and three eighths cut. I could find two inch cut, but I couldn't find the one and three quarter that you you the were razor, hunting with. Razor tip. Because Locke bought them all. Yeah, I got them. Locke probably has them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I got those in, and I, I never screwed them on this year because I still had the whitetail specials on. But so here's here's my thought process. I always like I shoot a light arrow, I shoot a fast bow. Um, I'm 373 feet per second. Um, sorry, that's not right. 373. I need to get your bow because that's mine. Three, <laughs> 373 grains shooting 324 feet per second, and so that's a light arrow shooting a mechanical that I know I'm going to lose a lot of energy on impact with. And while I didn't get pass-throughs on either of the deer that I shot, I also didn't expect to. That wasn't an, that wasn't an expectation that I had on this year's setup. <clears throat> and so let me talk for a second about why I switched. Um, and, and this is gonna this is gonna move to like 
my plan for next year. Um, I lost two deer this year. I lost um, a, a really nice buck that um, I was drawn back on for a long time. And when he finally stepped out, I subconsciously and unintentionally kind of punched the trigger real low in his armpit. And I lost him, and I still to this day cannot believe that I lost that deer. That was so much blood for so long. I don't know how he has an ounce of blood left in his body, but we never found him, and I got a dog on him. Um, I lost another one that I don't think – no, I know that wasn't a lethal hit, but um, that was the one that I shot um, while you and Colin were in town, and that one I hit him real high, and I, I, that was, again, user error. That's my own fault. Um, because of shot placement. And while I do believe that, while I am a big believer that if you shoot them where you're supposed to, they'll die with, it doesn't matter if you've got a field point or a six inch broad te- broadhead on the end, you still got to do your job and put that in the right spot. And um, I just, I realized that bow hunting on deer is the game of millimeters, man. Yeah. I've, I've gotten lucky. Yeah, I've gotten lucky on like my biggest deer, my largest body deer that I shot last year when I had a bow malfunction and I hit him six inches lower than I was supposed to. That that my cables had actually pulled into the way of my of my fletchings, and I shot this deer at 35 yards and hit him six inches lower than I was supposed to. But I was hunting from the ground and I barely clipped his heart, and I'm very lucky that I found that deer. Um, that was luck and i killed that one but then the one that i shot in the armpit below the heart this year man i couldn't have been more than i could not have been more than a quarter of an inch maybe a half an inch off of of like having a dead deer and and so i am starting to move towards the idea of an insurance policy of a larger cut um and so Got him with a just a regular fixed head. A one a one and one eighth inch wasp drone three blade. Yeah. Um. And and Glenn, there's no reason why I shot that deer where I did. I was starting to get tired, and um, I was also afraid of getting busted because I can't believe that he didn't wind me. He he had to be three feet out of my wind. Uh, if, if if that makes sense, like the, I wasn't actually expecting to ever get a shot on this deer because the whole time he was at my seven o'clock and my winds blow into my six o'clock, I'm like, he, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. There's no way this buck's going to stick around. There's no way. And when he finally stepped out, I was so freaked out that he was even still coming and I'd been drawn back for so long that um, I just made, I made a bad shot. I can own that. But with that being said, you know, you're talking about shooting and shooting a broadhead that a two inch cut versus a one and one eighth inch cut. If I hit that deer in the exact same place, he's dead. Anyway, so here, so here's what I'm going to do. Uh, cause I know I'm rambling. And I'm let y'all you know talk next, but here here's my plan. I'm still a speed guy, and I love speed, but I know that you can't have a large mechanical cut with the super light arrow that's irresponsible and it's not a good matchup and so my plan is for next season is um i'm going to go to um i'm going to sell my carbon stealth mach one and i'm going to get dudley's um levitate 
because it's like 15 feet per second, maybe 18 feet per second faster IBO than my than my Mach 1. And I believe that I, I should be able to add about 25 to maybe even 50 grains more arrow weight. Um, <clears throat> shoot a larger Grim Reaper. Pro- actually, probably won't shoot a larger Grim Reaper. I'll just shoot your one and three quarters that I've got three packs of now, the, the same ones you've been shooting locked. Yes. And uh, and then go to about a yeah, 425 grain arrow. And hopefully still be in the three twenties because Dudley's goes stupid fast because mm-hmm. it got it's got uh that's I'm at seventy one and a half pounds now and I'm shooting twenty nine and a half inches uh, draw length and I shoot a very short arrow um, my arrows are twenty seven and a half inches long Dang. so um anyway there there's some tweaking there but I I feel it if I go up in speed because you know Dudley's cams are a lot more aggressive than the evolve cam that's on the um the carbon stealth they look like the old full throttle cams but not quite as crazy uh unforgiving or or crazy fast but they look real similar like they're very forward facing hard break over type. i mean i don't give a shit about comfort let's be honest like i i don't care how my shoulder feels when i'm drawing back on an animal i just want to get there super fast so I'm going to go to that bow because once you go to a, a really light carbon bow, it's impossible to go back to anything heavier. Um, and I just – I think Dudley did it right. On, I think PSE and Dudley did it right on that bow. So I'm going to go to that heavier arrow and then stick with the mechanicals. Um, and uh, uh, that's going to be my setup for next year. It's that's sound. a good-looking bow. I saw one the other day. I was in Jay's archery getting a new string put on my bow. And uh, – in Pineville, and he had one in there. That is that is a good looking boat. Uh, yeah, they're cool, man. Yeah, I think if you add that kind of arrow weight and that kind of speed, you're gonna. I definitely think you're going the right direction. You're gonna have a. Yeah. You're gonna be shooting. A, you know, you're gonna be shooting a freaking cannon. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you know, the more I talk about this, the more I talk to people about it. Um, I think the less crazy uh, I, I feel for being a speed guy, I'm not a speed guy because I, I like speed. I'm a speed guy for trajectory reasons only. Like I want the the least amount of variance from because um, I shoot a single pin. If I if I'm shooting 25 yards and then the deer or I have my pin at 25 yards and the deer goes to 35. I don't want to have to make that adjustment, draw, let down, make that adjustment, and then draw back again. I want to just aim about another inch and a half higher in release. Yeah. Um, and yep. the slower your bow is, the greater variance in pin gap and, and point of impact at certain distances. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got like, you know, reaction speed and all that stuff, part of the equation. But I just like uh, fast bow, and that's it. Hey, if you're looking for a new piece of hunting property or you have a piece of property you'd like to list for sale, contact our friend Slade Priest, the hunting land man. Slade's a Realtree United Country Land Pro, and he's more than just a real estate agent. Slade has spent his entire life in the outdoors managing property, hunting, fishing, and he really prides himself on understanding putting the right buyer and the right seller together when it comes to outdoor recreational hunting property. And Slade was recently ranked number two in the, in the country. For, for 2020, uh, Southern States Realty United Country Hunting Properties. So 
if you are in the market, no one sells more Mississippi and Louisiana, and it's not too late to potentially get into a new piece of property even for this hunting season. Uh, Slade tells me you can get to closing pretty quickly, and he's got some fantastic properties recently listed and more coming all the time. So search the hashtag HuntingLandMan, and you'll find all kind of stuff. Slade's got a podcast where you can get all kind of information on land and uh, the buying selling process. So check him out and go find all of his listings at HuntingLandManMS.com. I think people who have never focused on their setup with that in mind um it's a whole new world and i you know i'm a smaller guy with a shorter draw length i shoot similar poundage as you but obviously i can't get the speeds uh likely not to get the speeds that you're getting because i don't have the draw length that you have and there's Mm -hmm. nothing i can really do about that um but i still shoot as fast a bow as i can you know uh, I say, I don't want to say that I shoot as fast a bow as I can, but but speed still matters to me. And I gave you like a a kind of little a little story that kind of um, just came up the other day that uh, interesting that you know this come up in this conversation because I haven't told either one of you this, but I'm I'm going on an elk hunt this coming year in September. A and, grouse hunt? Uh, elk? Yeah. Well, no, I'm I'm actually going I'm going elk hunting, and uh, I, I hope to kill many grouse. But I'm not hunt. calling it a grouse hunt. I'm calling it an elk hunt. You should. Well, you should call it a grouse hunt and kill an elk. Do what, Glenn? I thought you said an elf hunt. An elf hunt? No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> an elk. <laughs> I don't think he's joking either. I think he's being serious. <laughs> so, so I'm going. So, so, so initially, an elf is going elk hunting. Yeah, that's essentially, oh, that's what's happening. Yeah. So, the, wait, where's my button? Hold on. <laughs> I was, oh, I was actually looking for the drunch button, but anyway, that's, that's just as good. <laughs> so, my, my, my bad. That's okay. I can take it. Uh, uh, for y'all who've never, for all you listening that have never met me, I'm a really tall guy. Um, so anyway, I'm for going an uh, for an elf. I'm very tall for an elf. I'm uh I'm going elk hunting in September, so obviously, you know, the, the, I'm gonna have to do a lot more preparation for ranges, longer ranges. But getting around to what what I was saying, uh, I was talking to Colin about this in my office the other day, and he said, you know, he's filmed me uh, many times now over the last two years, but specifically, he's filmed me shoot three different deer with my bow. Uh, in the last two seasons, and all three of them were drastically different. One of them was a longer shot, like, I don't remember, it was thir- it was right at 35 yards. One of them was your typical 18 to 20 yards, and the other one was right up underneath us, like five steps from the tree. So, you know, three completely different ranges. And he goes, you know, we were talking about that, and me, you know, prepping to shoot longer distance. He goes, you know, I, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen you adjust your sight one single time in the last two years. And I'm like, I don't. If the deer is between five and forty yards, I just aim accordingly. Like I don't move my sight, you know, because I've got a flatter, faster shooting bow, and it is so much like it. And I realize it. It wouldn't be the way to hit dots and score points in an archery competition, but for hitting the kill zone and being an effective hunter, 
man, it's the only way to go. It's so much more simple than cluttering your site picture with with pins or, um, you know, having a setup where you can't really uh, feel comfortable in in just in just adjusting your aim because of the amount of error drop you got. Man, speed speed is an asset. It's not just a vanity metric. You know. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I, I can, I can say, too. Like, man, I can remember the horror of, and I know, Glenn. I'm, I'm sure you know, going back further back, because Glenn and I have, have both been hunting a, a little longer than you, Kyler, and I know when, way back, like when I was in high school and stuff, I first started shooting, man, the 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 problems with arrow drop and speed. Man, it was anything past twenty yards was was an adventure, to say mm-hmm. the least. You know, with with pin gap and and air drop, and then of course the deer reacting to bows that weren't nearly as quiet. Man, speed is such a asset in today's today's. So if you don't, you know, if you if you're getting out of this season, kind of in the in the spirit of of the theme of our podcast, if you're getting out of this season and you're looking at what's something I can do to be better to, to make my to make myself more effective and more efficient, don't discount speed. It's not just for vanity. Like, it's worth every dollar you spend on it. So. I kind of like a happy medium. I, I shoot about – my bow shoots about 290 normally, and I, and I like staying at that speed because I know arrow trajectory, you know, from shooting that for so many years, I know how much my arrow is going to drop, you know, at what distance and all that. And I'm like you. I leave my – last year i went back to pins for some reason i tried it and i and i even i wear glasses you know so it i didn't really like it it didn't cost me any deer i don't think but this year i went back to the just the up pin and i it, it clears everything up i leave it set on 25 and if, you know if he's right under me i aim you know lower if he's i can shoot pretty not flat but pretty much stay in the boiler room out to about 35 you know uh matter of fact that, that last buck i shot he it was you know during the rut and i actually rattled him in and he and he, he kind of he tried to skirt around me to get downwind and i drew back on him i had him at about 25 but he kind of got around some a treetop and i couldn't get a shot on him and i finally got him stopped at about 36 37 yards and I had my pin set on 25 i held just a little bit higher than you normally would you know, about the top of the ten ring, and I, 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 you know, I caught you right through the bottom of the heart. You know, and uh, it stayed in him really good. So I, I, I like that speed also because it certainly helps. If I'd have been shooting a slower bow, I'd have probably shot under. You know. Yeah. So. Well, that's it. I asked both of you, or or, or that's kind of what we've been talking about is kind of different things that, that that happened throughout the year, and I. One thing that obviously I, I did pick up a saddle and and tried that out the last couple of weeks of the season and the jury's out for me on that. I mean, it, I don't have anything negative to say. Uh, positively speaking, um, the versatility of it uh, was was nice. Just being able to, I, I can't say that I was a lot more versatile than I have been with my hanging hunt lock on set. But as opposed to what you said, Glenn, I, I did find that I could get in the tree much quicker. Uh, just yeah. less to do to get set up, but I didn't shoot at anything, and I, and honestly, I'm kind of glad I didn't because I hadn't practiced out of it shooting enough to to feel real comfortable. I was setting myself up in that saddle, probably Kyler, very much in the way that you set up with your trad bow. I had one spot 
where I felt comfortable that I could draw back and 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 still maintain my mechanics and shoot well, and the deer had to come right there, or I wasn't going to shoot. Yeah. Him, you know, because yeah. I just wasn't comfortable with. I hadn't practiced moving around in that setup enough to some of the different shot angles. I had never, and I wasn't going to shoot at a deer in, a, in an awkward angle that I never practiced out of. But other than that, there was something that you mentioned, Kyler. To me, in a in a in a conversation between you and I, we I, you'll remember it after I start telling the story. But I can honestly say that I've started to pay a lot more attention to this, and I'm I'm a little bit ashamed to say that it's had to that it's had to dawn on me more because I probably should have, and I would encourage more people to pay attention to this because it's a big deal. So towards the end of the season, a friend of mine had an, a a crazy weird situation happen uh, on my property where he shot at a deer. And there was another deer close by, and he on, and he wasn't even sure which deer he hit because of the way the deer reacted when he when he let the arrow go. He thought the other deer may have stepped in front and all this kind of stuff. And if you recall, you and I were having a, a long conversation about that, and we were just trying to diagnose his story. And and we got into a, a, a big conversation about how the deer reacted and what what you can expect from a deer given lots of different scenarios and things that are happening, um, you know, there's very certain ways that deer react when they take off running, when they duck, you know, whether their head's down, whether their head's up, when they're when they're startled, and all those different things. And I've had a couple of situations where I've shot deer without paying enough attention to their mannerisms at the time that I was squeezing off the shot, and I've been fortunate enough that I haven't lost an animal in a long time. It's coming, knock on wood. I know it is, but um, but I have had some shots where it could have happened, and it wasn't because I was taking a bad shot. It was because I really should have paid more attention to the mannerisms of the deer and let the deer um, maybe take a step and get a get get his get its leg in another position or. Um, those kind of different things, and I've, I'm, I've, I've started paying more attention to that. You know, at the time mm-hmm. you let go of the, I mean, sometimes you kind of have to, you know, like you were talking about Glenn, the deer you shot, that that deer's circling you, trying to get your wind, and you're you you really basically got to take the first good opportunity you get. Right. But but even with that being said, it, even if the situation isn't exactly perfect, you got to account for it. Right, like if a deer's in a food plot feeding, wait for it to step forward and get that shoulder out of the way. It gives you a bigger vital picture to shoot at, right? You you know that that, that, yep. that but that's easy because the deer's patient. I mean, you can if you're patient, the deer's calm and he's feeding and and that kind of stuff. But if the deer's circling you, you got to stop him and get a shot. But you need to pay attention. Is his head up? Is he looking your way? Is he looking the other way? You know, is the deer's head down? Is its leg back or forward? Um, and, and some of those kind of things, I've tried to make a conscious effort to pay attention to that. And if you, if you look back at the, the deer that I killed in Kansas, the, uh, the deer that was really right up underneath us, it, if you watch the video, the deer takes one last step before I shot. Now the videos yeah. the videos are not always a perfect time representation of how it happens. In other words, if you see a cutaway shot of me drawing and then it cuts back to the deer, 
that may not be timed out exactly perfect. So the amount of time that I was held back may not be accurately represented in that timeline of the video. But if you look at that, I consciously, that deer, as I was anchoring, I had already drawn all the way back, but as I was anchoring, that deer glanced up at me, and I had to freeze. And then it took a step, and when I, when I put my pin on it, its leg was back, and I was aiming right at the back of that shoulder. And I had to let it take one more step. And went and it and it freed up that area and I you know just ten ringed it, but I've made that shot before and the deer went further, and been a more complicated track because I had to go through that upper leg, lower shoulder bone, and all that joint, all that stuff in there, and didn't get the the the, the same kind of punishing pass through shot that you get on all that soft tissue when that when when they step forward and get that leg out of the way. So that's just one example. That's something that I tried to do this year, and I really started thinking about it a lot more um, just looking back at at uh, a couple of different things I've done in the past, like I said, that where I, I really got kind of fortunate where it could have ended up a little bit worse because, like I said, I didn't take a bad shot. It just I, it, it could have been better or, or, the, or I may should have under after further review, I might should have kind of approach the shot a little bit different given the position the deer was in so that's something that i've tried to pay attention to that that i kind of take away from this season because i had it happen to me again on the deer in louisiana yeah Uh, um do you consider the deers when you're when you you got to also kind of consider his mindset you know what what mm -hmm. he's got going on i mean a deer coming into like like Connor said earlier into a corn pile that's a whole different animal you know you you better be aiming low yeah don't 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 aim at your, you know, at, you know, at the top of the ten ring, you know, and, and expect them not to duck it because nine times out of ten they're gonna duck your air, you know, and I don't care yeah. how fast you. Well, I, I've said this a, a a bunch of times in a lot of different conversations with people because I believe in it, and I don't just believe in it because it makes sense to me. I believe in it because I have seen it happen and be advantageous. To, to, to what I was doing so many times. And a lot of that has to do with the way I hunt. I don't hunt a like I, I said earlier, I don't hunt a ton of early season. So I don't hunt a ton of deer that are feeding, truthfully. I, I, I focus most of my hunting around travel patterns and then rut activity where deer are, are cruising, traveling. If you can, if, if you can, you can't always do it. I mean, it just, sometimes it just doesn't work. If you can shoot a deer without ever having him know whether he's really spooked or just alerted, without him ever knowing you're there, the results are just different. You watch hunting videos, and they always, man, they always, like the deer can be standing there completely calm feeding, and they'll, man, and make him pick his head up and look before they shoot. Why? <laughs> I, 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 I ask that question all the time. I, why why? why do they want to do that? I don't know if they're doing it for the camera or what, but I can tell you unequivocally, I'll argue with anybody because I've just had it play out to my advantage too many times. I've had deer, and like you said, am I watching their mannerisms? I'm watching their gait. I'm watching what they're looking at, how they're using their nose, because if I've got a buck cruising by, if I can figure out when he's going to pause on his own and shoot him there without ever having to alert him in any way, the deer doesn't run off as hard. He doesn't have as much adrenaline going. 
He doesn't react the same to the arrow. And it, it's just easier. It's more like shooting a 3D target. And every single time I've ever had to meh, and stop a deer, they react violently to the shot. Now, the bow That'll might be... be that the bow might be fast enough that you still make a really good shot, but they blow out of there and they run as hard as they can until they can't run anymore. I've had I've had I probably a dozen deer in my life, maybe more than a dozen, that I've shot in the the aforementioned scenario where the deer never knew I was there. The deer was feeding and I just waited on it to stop on its own, or I just drew back and followed it until I, I, I could, because of the way it was walking, I was expecting it to pause or something, and I waited till it stopped, and I shot it without ever alerting it, and they run 50 or 60 yards and stop. Like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And then once they stop, if they're fatally hit through the vitals, once they stop, it's really hard for them to get going again because they start filling up with blood, and you find those deer within 100 yards most of the time. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. That that's something that I've always lived by, and I can just say that I've I've been lax on that at times. I just at times you get caught up in the moment and you don't pay enough attention, and it's just something as stupid as if you just let that deer just take one more step, you know, and just get that leg out of the way, right? Or if the deer's feeding and he throws his head up and looks around, just wait a second, let him put his head back down and start feeding again, and then shoot him. Yeah, you know, just those kind of things I try to pay attention to because. I think we can all agree that, like, the most anxious, stressful part of bow hunting is making a shot and not knowing how to feel about it and knowing that the deer ran off further than you, you, you really don't know, right? Oh, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, you get to a point where, like, I, I, I shoot a deer, I don't let myself get excited until I find it. And mm-hmm. then by then, I'm not excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not fun. That's not fun at all. So. Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, it, it, it's uh, that's the worst part. I, like, I, it's funny on the um, on my son's deer. You know, I'm 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 that exact same way, Kyler. Like, I've gotten to that point, and it almost pisses me off sometimes because I'm like, it is. I want to yeah. be more excited, but I've been so worried for so long that now that I finally found the deer, I'm just like, it's more of a relief than an excitement. Until I put mm-hmm. my hands on them, you know. <laughs> so. You might not want to talk to me. <laughs> my my son shot his deer, and the the deer ran sixty yards and fell over dead. I mean, we watched it fall over. It was in some open hardwoods that we could see, and it ran out there just like I said. The deer had no idea, you know, like no idea. I I was actually trying to man and stop him, but he kind of stopped on his own. So I don't think I ever really alerted him. He shot the deer. It ran sixty yards and stopped, and then just t- t- toppled over. But you know, he's a 13-year-old boy, and he's not shooting an extremely powerful bow, so the arrow went well, in a, about halfway. Yeah, tell us what kind of setup he's shooting. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's shooting a, uh Elite Ember, which if you're looking for a bow for your <laughs> wife or your teenager, I highly recommend it. It's it's extremely adjustable. It's going to be – he's going to be able to shoot that bow until he's old enough to buy his own bow. I mean, it'll go up to – 65 pounds, I think, and it's got up to a 29-inch draw and uh, goes all the way down to, shoot, I don't know, 24, 23, 24 inches draw and all the way down to like 40 pounds so or 35 pounds. He's shooting like 40 pounds or 42 pounds, I think. Um, he's shooting a, uh, man... It's an Eastern Arrow. It's a, it's a lightweight carbon, like 300 spine. Or, or no, not three hundred. A uh, six, five hundred spine. 
like maybe a hex or something like that, maybe. Mm, something like that. It's a it's a it's a rather economical. What kind, kind of, of broadhead did he use? He shot it with a rage. Believe it or not, he yeah. shot it with a rage. I'm not necessarily proud to admit, not <laughs> not for any reason other than I couldn't get. I I had um, I had some uh. What did you say the wasp that you shot were, Kyler? Drones. They may have been wasp drones, or maybe does wasp. Uh, it was a it was a a, a three bladed fixed position wasp broadhead that I had picked up that that I, I liked, and I couldn't get them shooting consistently enough out of his bow, and that's a hard thing when because I can't you know the bow doesn't fit me; it's too short. Right, so it's hard for me to shoot it a whole bunch and, and and feel like I'm really everything's going right anyway. So I got frustrated, and I'm like, I need to come up with an expandable that will shoot where he's aiming because I can't get this going. And you know, just the time, the whole you know that whole conundrum of time and and all that. And I'm like, a rear deploying broadhead is going to do better than any kind of forward deploying broadhead that that obviously loses a lot more energy so the rage worked great man i mean he double lunged it 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 went all the way through and and stuck in the hide on the other side so it didn't punch out the other side but it went all the way through to the other side and um he shot the deer at 21 yards i think from the looks of it like well i was saying while i go from the looks of it i looked a little bit high but it really wasn't i guess just looked that way to me um at the angle down it was it was perfect but he shot the deer, and of course he's just immediately pumped up. And I got him, I got him. And I'm like, no, you ain't got him. Hold on, just a minute, because <laughs> he's running off through the woods, and then he stopped. And I'm trying to like, I've got the camera kind of faced that way because I'm trying to film the hunt, but I'm also trying to be a dad here and make sure I'm I'm thinking all these things are going through my mind. Like, okay, you got to watch this deer because I don't have a pass through. I don't know what kind of blood trail I'm going to have. I'm worried this shot might have been a little bit high. And I'm like, I'm expecting the deer to kind of stop and then just kind of walk off, you know. And I'm like, I need to keep my eyes on the deer, see what I can tell about the deer. And as I'm trying to get my binoculars up, the deer just starts stumbling and falls over right there in front of us. <laughs> you know, so uh, that was great. Rage, I've shot a pile of deer with rages. They, they're, they're good, you know. Oh, I've shot plenty of deer as well, especially way back when they first came out. <clears throat> you know, when they first came out yeah. there. They had that real initial rush of popularity, and everybody tried them out. And I shot mostly does. I probably shot uh, a hog or two and, and, and maybe a buck or two. I can't remember exactly. But I shot several does with them. And, and the reason I stopped shooting them was because I had some issues with penetration when I didn't make a great shot. And I'm not trying to adjust things for that alone. But those things do happen. And I had it fail in a few situations where I've shot many other setups in my life, many other broadheads in my life where, you know, I made that same shot and I wish I'd have made a little better shot, but I got through that shoulder blade or the rib, you know, that rib bone didn't affect the broadhead that way. And I had that happen a couple of times. And um, I'm like, I, I'm not going to shoot these things. I need something that's going to punch through. And the reason I started shooting the Grim Reaper was because I shot a muzzy for years and years and years, and Grim Reaper makes 
the razor tip that that Kyle is referring to that I that I always recommend. It has the same kind of of like bone crushing head tip that the that the muzzy does, and I'm always was always impressed with how the muzzies did in that regard. So anyway, um, that was uh just kind of something I wanted to add to like just things that I've paid attention to this year. Um, I, I'm curious for both of you. Like one of the other things that I I wanted to to kind of bring up and and maybe touch on a little bit before we wrap it up is have there been any you know just and I'm and I and I want you to kind of think about this from a perspective of all your all, all your friends and and your kind of your network of people that you talk to on a regular basis just kind of the hunting community that that you're exposed to uh in, in a more broad view are there any trends or like common talking points that became very notable to you this year, maybe differently than years past. You asking me or Glenn? I'm asking both of you if either one of you have something like that 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 you think is well, worth mentioning. I'll say I'll say this. I mean, Glenn this and Glenn proved it again this morning. I would say about eighty percent of the people that I talk to between private land or public land, they have all said that buck, especially, but near deer numbers sightings and encounters were way down this year um and that has been that's been a common talking point from mississippi alabama georgia texas i mean it's it's i'm not insinuating like there's like some huge plague happening in the deer population but something has occurred to make either deer go or stay nocturnal all year long without um, a known external pressure on them, or there are lower deer numbers this year because of a COVID year the last two years, an increase in harvest or um, uh, increase in activity in the woods, or I think it was field and stream or outdoor life, or somebody came out and said that this year there were more bucks harvested than any other year in the history of deer hunting. Have you all seen that article? I have or not. Seen that headline? Okay. Um, so as far as buck harvest goes in the U.S., this year surpassed is like the, the the highest number, and I don't know what it was. It's you know probably in the millions, but um, it's not really relevant. It's not really relevant to us when you get an entire country's number of deer harvest or buck harvest. We don't know how to break that down individually um, down to our own own realm. But I, just like you started off this episode, Glenn, you're like it was a tough season. Harvest numbers were down, encounters were down, sightings were down, numbers were down. I've heard that. I don't have enough fingers and toes to count how many times I've heard that verbatim from different people this year. And it doesn't matter if you're hunting 80 acres outside of, you know, Slaughter, Louisiana, or if you got 3,000 acres in the Mississippi Delta. I've heard that time and time again. Hmm. Me too. That was the consensus. Uh, I, like I said, I, I don't look. I've been I've been at this game a long time, and I could not put my finger on why. And I don't know if our numbers down or, not, or I thought at one time. Well, our numbers just must be way down. But let me tell you what's happened to me in the last week. So our season's been over with since the thirty first. I got about six trail cameras out, a couple of them on feeders, a couple of them on pastures, and two or three of them on scrapes and funnel type you know situations mm -hmm. 
in the last five or six days, I went and checked my cameras uh, Sunday evening. All of a sudden, I've got more daylight pictures in the last week than I have since early October. <laughs> and I, it's just, and I don't know. Look, we're, we're, mostly where I hunt is 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 highly private. Nobody hunts but me and my family. There is very little pressure. Some of these cameras don't get walked by, but maybe two times a year. You know, I mean, there's not like there's not a lot of pressure anywhere around. We don't, there's no dog hunting anywhere around us. It's it's you know highly unpressured. Our deer just did not get on their feet much in the daylight this year, and I have no rhyme or reason why. You know, uh, it was just a, it was just an off year. Well, I'm gonna be kind of beating a dead horse with my response to this because. You know, my, my response to my initial question that I, I posed to you, and, and both of you have, you know, uh, agreeing answers or agreeing, uh, you know, uh, your response to it kind of mirrors one another. And I get it because I've heard a lot of that too. I probably wouldn't have answered it myself quite as directly as as, as you guys did. Like, I've heard it. I didn't necessarily experience it myself, but I mean, I wouldn't say it's my best year of seeing deer, but I, it wasn't my worst either, but I'm going to, I'm going to, so I don't, and I don't really have a, a, a trend that I think has just stood out to me in, in just sitting like at the 30,000 foot view and trying to look at our society as a, a like the hunting culture, the, the Louisiana bow hunter community as, as a good example looking at it um, from trying to look at it from 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 that high level view I can't say that something stands out to me that's drastically uh, you know like just really sticks out or 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 very different from years past but I, I agree with you guys that there's there's enough people saying the same thing that you're saying to, to make note of it and in saying that the dead horse that I'm gonna beat is, I think it's probably has to do with weather. Like, mm-hmm. it, I, I mean, I, it, the nocturne, now, if there's a shortage, if the, if the deer numbers are down, and which we don't, on, on this podcast especially, and, then, and maybe, maybe we'll find out these things as more harvest reports and, and more things um, from a science community look back at the last year or the last season, maybe they can shed more light. Um, given some of the data that they collect on the numbers. If the numbers are down, that's a whole other discussion. But let's just assume that the numbers really aren't, in, in terms of deer density and population, the numbers aren't that much different. Let's just, uh, just kind of go down the path of um, less deer movement, more nocturnal deer. I think that it's a low-hanging fruit, but I think it's valid. I think our weather has, you know, for the, the time that we spend – the most of our resources on being in the woods hunting, our weather sucked ass. It was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was it, dry and hot. I mean, yep. think about if we could have had the last two weeks of weather that we've had in the south. Imagine if you could have that from December the 20th through January the 5th. Yeah. You know, I think that, yeah. I think that everybody would – be you know um i think everybody that are that 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 that, that maybe are looking at it in in a way that you guys presented 
would would probably have had a couple of weeks there during the the prime of their season where they saw a lot of deer activity because of the weather, I think. Yeah, I, I could agree with some of that. There's no doubt. The weather had a lot to do with it. And I think dry, like Kyler, you said dry. Yeah. I think dry has a lot to do with it, too. It's not just hot. It's dry and hot. Sure it does. You know, um, and, and you, you just look at, like, when it's when it's dry and it's hot, this is and what I do. What we had lots of east winds this year. A lot of a lot of bad winds for a lot of people that are hunting. A lot of di- I mean, you, you throw any kind of property into this equation, but not a lot of people set up a whole lot of hunting for hunting in the on southeast and east winds. They just don't. Right. So they're hunting a yeah. lot. They're kind of being forced to hunt outside of their better areas or they're hunting their better areas on the wrong wind one of the two either one of those doesn't lend itself to positive outcomes and the other thing but here's the thing that that i've heard people that i trust when they talk about the big picture and they talk about the deer herd and what we're seeing in the woods across a broad picture two things that happen so it's very easy to say well it's hot and the deer aren't moving but it's really more than that when it's dry and when it's hot, there's a lot more food in a lot of places. The deer don't have to move. They don't have to get up on their feet. The acorns don't get wet and soured in the wet cold. The acorn crop stays on the ground, and, and it is more sustainable for much longer. The browse doesn't get frosted and wilt. It stays more lush and more available for longer. And, you know, when you have all of that, you don't have as many deer in the food plots. You know, you don't have as many deer traveling in the daylight looking for more nutrition because they've got it everywhere for three quarters of the hunting season. I think we all of those things. Until a week ago. We yeah. had plenty of greenbrier until a week ago. Yep. I think that's a wave, you know, and it yeah. that wave just just goes all the way across the season and then if we would get some wet, cold weather in December and kill off a lot of the brows and finish off all the acorns, and then, acorns. yep, and then the and then the rut hits, and the activity picks up naturally anyway, I think it just has a, a just a bigger effect. And I, I I I know there's more to it than just that, but I, I mean it's just too easy to just point at that, and not just because oh it's hot and the deer don't move in the heat. It's just more than that, but. You know, for whatever it is, the last thing I want to ask you to then, before we wrap up, and and this is kind of a looking forward kind of thing, and and staying in theme of, of uh, of of the conversation here. So, I know both of you have seen this or heard it. There's people all over the place talking about the adjustment of seasons. Should we be adjusting the seasons to be? I mean, some one of the most common things you hear is opening the season up later like more like November through February instead of October through January. Different ideas around that, but just for for sake of conversation, just very generally backing everything up and kind of adjusting to what seems to be a trend in the in our changing of seasons. What are you what are your thoughts about that? You go ahead, Glenn. Well I don't know. Uh I hadn't put a lot of thought to that, but, but honestly, if I had my way, I would definitely move the season forward. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to cut out the month of October, start it November, 
you know, and uh, cut the gun season down, of course. Of course, me being a bow hunter, I'm, I'm biased to that. Uh, you know, uh, that, that that's really the only thing I'd like to see a change in. I, I think the season is too long, period. I think, I think, uh, especially these places that you can hunt all the way through February the 15th. And look, this is just my opinion. I'll probably get some, some hate mail from this. I think it's ludicrous. I mean, that's too long of a season. You know, you're hunting from, from October 1st till February 15th. I mean, a deer doesn't have a fighting chance. That's, that, that, that's a lot a of pressure. Long, long hunting season, you know, pretty liberal bag limits in, in the South. Uh, you know, if you're going to do that, cut your limit back a, a buck or two, you know, I mean, it's, that's a long season and, uh, I think it pays a toll on the, on the deer, the population, in my opinion. What do you think, Kyler? Um, <clears throat> I think, I mean, I think an October one opener isn't a problem and, and you gotta remember some of the, some of the, some of those areas open September 15th, but I don't think. I'd have to double check, but I'm, I feel pretty strongly that I don't think there's a, an area that's September 15th through October 15th. I don't think there's one that opens that early and closes that late. I don't believe. You mean um, February the 15th? February September. 15th. What did I say? What did I say? Uh, you said October. You said September to October. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant, I don't believe that there's an area that goes from September 15th to uh, February 15th. I don't think that that is. But, <clears throat> and that's just I don't the areas that open that early anyway. I I don't hunt in them, so they're not. I'm not familiar. I don't have their regulations memorized. Um, but um, I will say this, and I'm just gonna keep saying this every year, over and over and over again. Um, Junica Hills needs to run through February 15th because it's in every it's in Area Six and all of Area Six except for Junica Hills runs through February uh, uh, 15th. And um, a couple of reasons why Cat Island, which is within a stone's throw of Tunica Hills, is open till February 15th, but it goes through so many flooding uh, regular flooding openings and closures throughout the year. You, you only get to hunt that damn place one third of the season if you're lucky with that, if you can even hunt it at all. I mean, I think a few years back, it was closed for almost two or three years. Yeah, um, one because of a outage of a road and then flooding and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, but but um, Tunica Hills, straight north of there, right by Angola, that needs to be open till February fifteenth because I know for a fact that those deer rut all the way up until early March. I mean, I've got video proof of it. I see some of the hottest and heaviest activity in there, and that's a spot burn or anything, but. They're still they're rolling right now, and you can't go in there and hunt them in there. And I don't think that that's right. I agree with you, and and I don't understand. And 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 I'll I'll throw my two cents in as we wrap up on on, on that thought. I I I can't honestly say that that I've had any conversation with anybody. So maybe there is a very rational explanation for it, but from the surface if you're leaving it open until february the 15th in an area what it seems to me like your reasoning for doing that would also apply to not opening it as early like how come the whole thing doesn't shift if it's because they're rutting 
if the if it's because the deer are are later in 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 everything that they do and they're rutting later, so you're going to leave it open. Well, then that means that the does are pregnant and raising little ones later in the summer into the early fall. So why are you hunting them in those areas earlier? Like it seems to me like those two things correlate. So I, I question mm-hmm. the 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 I question the reasoning behind that. Like if does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, if yeah, if you're gonna let people hunt them because they're breeding and they're rutting later in February, then they shouldn't be hunting them at the same time in the early season because that means that your gestation periods and your fawning is happening later, and you're pushing right up into that. So to me, that doesn't make any sense. But I do, I do subscribe to the theory based off of my um, personal observations. Now, I will agree with both of you on this. Kyler, I agree with you that I don't really see anything wrong with opening the season on October 1st. I don't think this is a drastic measure that needs to be made. But with that being said, I do understand the people that propose um, these things and, and, and that put those questions out there because it seems to me like over the last decade, we'll use, use a decade time period um, for this point, over the last decade, it does seem to me that I'm seeing more and more spotted fawns later in the year. You're seeing more and more rut activity in 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 a wide expansion of area pushing later into the year. There's no question that we're seeing our weather pattern change. It's colder in March and warmer in October, and and, and I mean that's been that's been an, an obvious trend for a while now. And if you could put some science, some research, some money from the state agency behind researching that and seeing if there's something to it, then I, I can understand how that, that you know, the, the way we use our, our resource and the way we hunt these deer, maybe we do need to adjust. If their breeding cycle is changing, and it's and and it gets to a point where it's notable and there's some data behind it then maybe we don't need to be hunting these deer in October or at mm-hmm. least in early October if the data shows that the seasons are changing whether it's global warming or climate change or whatever the heck it is if it if that's happening and and I will say that I can personally attest to it and a lot of people that I know that manage a lot of private ground and keep really close tabs on their animals are seeing more and more does get bred later, even all the way to the springtime. And, I mean, I know myself and a handful of people I know had deer with spots on them in November this year. I had deer behind my house in East Feliciana Parish. I had a doe that had twins with spots, and I guarantee you those babies were born in the middle of October. Mm -hmm. You know, they had spots damn near till Thanksgiving. And so, if that were to become more than just a, oh, people are seeing it more often, if it become a trend, well, then you have to think you don't need to be shooting does while they're trying to rear fawns. That just, that's just common sense. But I, I care right now on my family's place that the, the cameras I'm running, the bucks, every camera has rut activity going on as we speak. And that's I mean, a they, that, that's an they, area. They are wide open. It's, I mean, it's more rut activity. Normally, our rut used to be the week of Christmas. It yep. was on. And that I was, was yeah, I was just fixing to say, 
I grew up, the majority of my life, I grew up learning to hunt on the property next door to Glenn's place. Yeah, and it's and it's evolved now. Our, I mean, it's, it's, it's still kind of a trickle rut, I call it. It kind of starts maybe, you know, mid-December, and then it, normally it used to be for years, it starts kind of mid-December, get really strong Christmas week until about the 5th of January, and then it was over with. Yep. It was done. Now, it starts. You'll see maybe a little bit of activity right before Christmas, a little pre-rut type stuff. And then it gets heavy. My best rut day that I've had this year was January 10th. It's really the only rut activity I actually saw this year. Yep. Now, all my cams I'm running that I still have out, have rut activity they're wide open right now the bucks are just daylight pictures every doe you see he's got a buck you know in the group buck you know uh, i got i got a picture up last week a big old cow horn spike breeding a doe right in front of his actually a pretty cool picture right in front of one of my cams and uh so i mean it's getting later and later every year i agree with that you know so i uh but getting to the tunica thing it's it's I agree with, with Kyler. Look, I don't I don't hunt a lot of public deer hunting and uh but it it might this is the this is my opinion. It's a little bit of discrimination going on there because if you got the, the, the private landowners are still able to hunt in that area, why not let Correct. the guys that have public to hunt also, you know? Well they yeah. claim it's a deer they claim it's uh what did they tell us on that podcast, Kyle, or something about deer <laughs> surveys? Browse, browse survey. There's not enough browse browse survey. They said there's not enough browse, which which that just that sentence alone, honestly, man, that sentence alone opens up a whole nother can of worms that we don't need to get into. But I'm going to say this: when you go any to any midwestern state, I don't care where it is, I don't care if it's a discount midwestern state like Ohio, right, or or um, like I any pick any state, wildlife and fisheries or the uh, the comparable organization in that state to wildlife and fisheries, you know, um, uh, department of forestry or whatever, um, game and fish, et cetera, et cetera. They pump money and food plot into their food plots and their land management. And they had like, they leave food for the deer. Now I understand a lot of those places are ag. And a lot of times they're paying the farmers to leave their crops or they're paying the farmers to come in and plant specifically for these NWRs and WMAs. But I, I'll just say it, and I'm I'm not a hater of wildlife fisheries at all, but the lack of funds and the lack of effort that they put into our property, it's, it's embarrassing. And if more people hunted out of state, there would be an absolute uprising from our hunters from the comparison of what Oklahoma, Missouri, Illinois, you name it, Kansas, I'm sure, you name it, what they do and leave for their deer, they take care of them, and that's why they're destination states with incredible herds because there's an entire program uh, 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 with their arm around their deer population. And here, here we get the answer, oh, there's just not enough food, so we don't open up Tunica Hill. Yeah, okay? I I just I, – I, I will I – will... I will jump on the train with you, Kyler, and make a statement that opens up a can of worms so that you're not alone in doing it. Somebody is going to have to prove to me 
in a way that has never been proved to me, even though I greatly appreciate some of the data that's put out there, some of the people who have come and talked on our podcast. Um, I, d- I do appreciate the work that they do and, and the information they've given us. But Mississippi and Louisiana both, it feels a whole lot like we whore out our natural resources. Sure. We don't have great economies in these two states in some ways. We're last in so many things amongst the amongst all the states in the country. And But what we do have is come here and hunt the crap out of our deer and turkeys. Yep. Well, Buy you a license and kill you some animals. Yep. Dude, I'll, I'll go as far as saying this. Louisiana is not sportsman's paradise anymore. There, there's about seven ducks that fly into Louisiana all season <laughs> anymore. It's not worth hunting ducks in the state of Louisiana anymore. And if you think that it is, you probably are coming off of a really good hunt that only happened in January. Because I know duck hunters that have been pounding it out every day since the season opened in November and that are saying for the third, fourth, or fifth year in a row, it's the worst season that they've ever had since last year and since the year before that. And last year was the worst season that they ever had. Deer hunting isn't as great as it used to be. The only thing that's still on fire and that could be questionable is fishing, like uh, coastal fishing. Offshore fishing will always be gangbusters. But, um, but man, like, if we don't start putting some money into actually managing and growing our deer population and we keep adding hunters and we keep getting people into the sport and we keep putting pressure on our public lands especially – there's not any hope left, and I, I mean, I, I really hate to say it. But I, I, one of the, one of the things that I do love about public land is, I mean, I love the pursuit and the challenge and whatever. But I don't. I also don't want to be hunting ghosts. You know, mm-hmm. I want to be hunting an animal that's still around, that still exists. If what happens to duck hunting, which I obviously deer don't migrate, so don't take this out of context. Not not you two. I'm talking about somebody listening that going to be like oh deer don't migrate what i mean is if, if what happens to, what happened to duck hunting happens to deer hunting which is where it just declines and you have this massive saturation of sportsmen going after the same seven ducks it's over it's done there's nothing left lock it up shut down the shop stop selling bullets and arrows and bows and that's an economy killer for a huge part of our bit of our own internal revenue, but that's not going back into our properties. Like I feel like every time I know it's all politics, it's just um, budgets get cut, positions get cut, tenured people get uh, they retire and aren't replaced, and you do that enough years in a row, and all of a sudden. Tunica Hill doesn't have deer. Sherburn doesn't have anything over a two-and-a-half-year-old buck running around. You know, I mean, these these properties, if they can't support the deer herd, what happened? And what can we do to make it support the deer herd? Yeah, it's um, – so. I have uh, – man, it's a tough conversation. It's one that is being had by a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Um, Maybe if more people had it, and, man, you want me to really, like, really throw some shade. Maybe if more outdoor podcasts talked about this and not just telling the stories of deer that were killed and posted on Facebook, maybe (laughs) 
maybe we would get some traction because maybe. because it's important and I, I you know I don't uh what a way to wrap the season up but it is one of the most important things we're facing and if you know I I have said and I have said this more as it pertains to turkey hunting than deer hunting but it definitely applies I think it's more urgent in the turkey hunting world as 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 we sit here in 2022 but it definitely applies to both and there is this like I don't I hate to call it a narrative because that makes me dismissive of things that that probably can be supported in some way by fact and I don't mean to be that way but there's context and there's nuance to everything in life just about and I think this is one of them there's this huge push in the outdoor industry about the 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 lack of con- contribution and the lack of people getting into hunting and how we're pushing and driving for more people and more people to get into hunting. And I'm not saying that we don't have to do those kind of things as a conscious effort to continue our traditions and to continue our sport and and all of those things. I'm not saying that that doesn't have a place. But to the points that you're making, Kyler, it's very valid to also step back and go, you, it, it's, it's a two-to-tango kind of thing, maybe, or if that's maybe not a great explanation analogy. But you can't just inflate one side of the situation and do nothing on the other side and expect some kind of balance right you can't we're we're we are pushing and pushing and pushing to sell hunting products to sell um hunting licenses to take people hunting and all that i don't see the same kind of push towards managing wildlife it's all about Everybody can become a killer. Everybody post their stuff on social media. Everybody talk about it online and, and, and like exposure, exposure, exposure. And then, but to, to it kind of to the point that you, you were making, Kyler, like if you inflate that side uh, of the situation, what are you doing on the other side to make sure that all the resource is sustainable for, for whatever growth you're, you're trying to promote? Yeah. And it doesn't feel like that's happening everywhere. It is happening in some places. You mentioned it. I mean, and for people who are listening to this podcast that have gone and hunted in other places, they can see it's very different when 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 there's a lot more concerted effort. It doesn't always and I'm not saying that there aren't in places. I'm just talking about the big picture. It doesn't always feel that way in the south. It feels like in the south we're just trying to hunt as many days as we can, kill as many as we can stomach and benefit from the economy it brings but at some point there's got to be another side of the, the coin right yeah you know one of the, i have a huge, huge big regret from this season and i'm um you know i'm not even going to preface it with all the niceties you said about um guests coming on and giving us data and et cetera, et cetera. obviously i appreciate that but i have one regret that i kept my mouth shut i really wish i didn't and i was pretty pissed off myself at the end of it and I'll be very specific about it. It was when I asked Dave Moreland why, if antler restrictions similar to Mississippi, or even total exactly the same as Mississippi, would help Louisiana, and his answer was, uh, "That would never work here." And I just said, "I think I was just so shocked by such a non-answer that I, my, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor." And by the time I put my tongue back in my mouth. We had moved on to the next question, but why? Why won't that work here? Why do you say that? 
can you give me a reason why? I know I'm not the first person to ask that. It seems to work out pretty decently in Mississippi, and I know for a fact it works well in Illinois, and it works well in Missouri, and it works well in Kansas, and it works well in – actually, it doesn't work well in Oklahoma. They just have a one-buck one state. You can shoot whatever you want, but you'd be an idiot to shoot anything that wasn't nice. And um, why won't that work here? Period. Like, let's just have that conversation. Tell me why you reacted that way. Not me. Tell us. Tell us why that won't work. Or um, and then secondly was was with Jonathan Bordelon where he's like oh well we can't fix that because they don't have the brows to sustain Tunica Hill. Well, to what Glenn just said, what about the guy that butts up against Tunica Hill? He can hunt an extra two weeks. Yeah. Is he does he get to hunt an extra two weeks because he has a feeder? What, what's the reason? So if and so this is this is the thing that doesn't make sense. We have a decline. We we can't have a decline in hunters and then also a decline in deer. Like that's a recipe for disaster. That's the that's the Titanic hit the iceberg. You know, um, if, because if you have fewer sightings every time you go out, and you are or your your harvest rates are down and your hunter efforts per harvest are up, you'll never get another generation to come in and think that it's fun to do, ever. Nobody likes to perpetually suck at something and occasionally be good at it, you know. Um, and so, and you know that these the, these conversations aren't being had while in fisheries. They're not being had in um, outdoor groups. They're definitely not being had. I, mean, I think we're having it here. That's what we're doing. This is we're having that conversation. Hopefully, it raises some questions. But the longevity of our deer population is very seldom a um, high priority point on this quarter's budget for wildlife and fisheries or this year's annual budget for wildlife and fisheries. And when you go year by year by year by year by year not prior prioritizing something and that harvest numbers on the decline and browse is not coming back because of um, environmental change or when I say environmental change, sometimes what I really mean by that is maybe browse is declining because we need to select cut some of these places. Not because of flooding or, or like climate change or something. Maybe like I can use a couple of prop examples of properties that they haven't had a briar patch for a deer to live in in 20 years because the, the trees are so damn big. And you wouldn't want to bow hunt that spot anyway. Those got to, I mean, so stuff like that, increasing, increasing the um, quality of our public lands isn't always expensive. You know, I could come up with some solutions to where you could damn near like, do this, do some of these improvements on properties for free. It doesn't even cost the state anything if they if they would realize that once your deer hunters go away and your duck hunters go away, let me tell you, man, I love a speckled trout. That ain't carrying the rest of the state. Okay, it ain't gonna happen. So, well, um, and the duck hunters are going away. Oh, I've been out for years for that reason. I hunted two years longer than I should have just because I had a dog. That was it. And then once we had to put him down, I was done. I know some guys, you know, good buddies that are diehard duck hunters. I mean, eat, eat, sleep, and breathe it just like I do bow hunting and turkey hunting. They're they're they're, they're about done with it. And and when they do hunt, they go out of state somewhere. You know, I'm not a duck hunter at all, but I. I just hear them talking about all the ducks are being held up, you know, in the Midwest and all these refuges and all they're just not getting down here anymore. 
they're just, you know, they're selling their lease, getting rid of their leases, selling their land, or not leasing the blinds and all that. So I, I see that kind of becoming a dying thing in Louisiana. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, well we yeah. don't want our public yeah, lands to go just, that way. No. With well, maybe, so, maybe, maybe we can, uh, <laughs> I mean, you guys are the ones with the podcast. I'm just a guest, but maybe you can have more of those type Dave Morelands and things like that on here and try to, and try to get some answers and, you know, and maybe, and maybe get some, uh, some more interest in that, in that sort of thing. And, and, uh, maybe get the ball rolling on some, on, on some of that. Well, Possibly. I'd, I'd like to think we have that kind of, um, influence and I've, I made it a commitment to focus on these kind of conversations with pe- with with people in the turkey world on my turkey podcast last year we uh we had three different biologists on the the podcast this season with um with deer talk and it's definitely something that you know Louisiana bow hunter is defined as a resource to the archery enthusiast and bow hunters of the state of Louisiana. That's what sure. it is. Sure. And uh, I do hope and, and expect that to continue to be part of what we do. We want to talk about hunting, and we want to share exciting, entertaining stories and tips and tactics and talk about the new stuff and the news of, 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 of the outdoor world as it pertains to us. We want to do all those things, but we want to do this too. Um, we want to shed light on things that we're concerned about. I mean, and, and I think Kyler would agree with me when I say this. I'm not trying to speak for you, Kyler, but I think you would agree with me. If we're wrong about something, we just want somebody to tell us we're wrong and explain to us why, you know? Just give us an answer. Yeah. yeah there, like, there's a lot of things. Be- yeah. A lot of things like that 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 I hope we're able to continue to explore through Louisiana Bowhunter because um, it is <clears throat> it is very valuable, and we all – care a lot about it and you know like i said uh, in in the final kind of talking point that we've that we've drug out here at the end i don't um i don't know that i think that today i feel like beating a drum against changing the season we don't need to hunt in october but there's obviously trends evolving around our state if if nothing else in certain parts of our state that look a lot different than they did 10 years ago and 15 years ago. And even in our neighbors in Mississippi and and Alabama, I know that these people, we have people in this community that we talk to regularly that hunt regularly in those states, and they're seeing the same kind of stuff there too. So it's not just here, you know. And is there something that we can do? Um, Is there something that as sportsmen we should be trying to enact change or at least get questions answered and should – should you get ahead of it, right? Like, should you get ahead of it? If it's something that, that is environmental, should we be getting ahead of it instead of just continuing on because this is how we've always done it? All those are the kind of questions that I hope, I'm going to I'm gonna try to wrap up here by saying this. I hope that all of this conversation we're having, I hope that while you look back at the season that we've just had, I hope that you look back on it fondly in that I hope everybody enjoyed hunting season it's it's a blessing that we have it we live in a country that allows us the freedom to pursue these kind of things and enjoy it and i hope that you look back on the good times you had at the camp on on the hunts that you that you had and all that kind of stuff but i also hope that you pay attention to what's happening around you and that you um 
look at it from a from from a lens of stewardship. Uh, whether you hunt a lot of public land or not, it's important that the public land around you is sustainable in your state. Um, whether you hunt differently from your neighbor, you're both all in it together. So I, I hope that you look back on the season and you do try to think about things that stand out to you that maybe um, you need to talk about with your hunters and your neighbors and your friends and, and all that kind of stuff because uh, that's that's really important. You know, it, it, it it's important that we enjoy it. It's important that we, 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 we make fun of each other and we have a good time and, and we take it all in, but it's also important that we be stewards. And that's how I'm going to try to wrap this up and, and try to just say – you know, as we end the season, I hope that you all enjoyed the podcast and you enjoyed all the different conversations we had, including this one, and wanted to try to just kind of shine a light on on how I hope people proceed with the season over. Um, don't just put it on a shelf, you know. Um, look at the things that you learned. Look at the things that you can do better, both personally in your archery and also as a steward of the land and and a, a, a citizen of the state, and all of those kind of things. So that's kind of that's kind of how I'm ending it. Um, Want to give both of you the opportunity to kind of say your final piece too, as we before we wrap it up. I'm I'm good. I think I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> well, Glenn, we appreciate yeah. you. Um, glad we were able to, to kind of share the conversation with you. Like I said, uh, you've been a- I enjoyed it. And always enjoy enjoy talking to you guys, you know, and, and uh, you know, like they will say, and getting back to what you were just talking about, you can be part of the problem or the, part of the solution. Or, you know, you, you make that choice. So that's kind of what, that's how I'm in mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. evolve or die, evolve or die. Exactly. And exactly. everything. So enjoyed it guys. Yeah. Glenn, thank you so much for, for, uh, for jumping on and Kyler enjoyed it one more season in the books and uh I guess it'll be a a long arduous hot off season but uh just uh it will be back we will be back deer season will be back and um hope everybody will uh just uh look back at our at these episodes during the off season uh, cue them up listen to them shoot your bow Get ready. If you have anything that you would like to share with us, especially those of you that are able to hunt in the uh, the areas that have the season that goes to the February 15th, we would love to showcase any of you guys that are having some success and killing some deer. You know, the, uh, the there's not a whole lot of you guys left, but there are a handful. So if you're having some success and, and you're out in the woods, share that with us. We'd love to share it on the page. And... Um, Keep your eyes out on LouisianaBowhunter.com and contribute to the community in the offseason. Thank you all so very much for your support. We've had another good year, and uh, we're humbled by what we see when the numbers come in and how many of you are listening to the podcast. Uh, it makes us proud that, that, you know, that we continue to push on and keep doing it. So thank you again, and God bless you all, and we will talk to you soon. Thank Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.